We're so excited to get to be with you. My name is Brandon Reynolds. I'm the preaching intern here this summer, and I am so excited to get to bring you this message today. So when I was in high school, I went to a private Christian school. And part of the whole Christian school thing was that every Wednesday, we would meet for chapel. Well, part of this chapel service is that we would go through some songs and sing some songs, and the praise band would lead it. Well, I was really, really good close friends with the teacher who was in charge of running the praise band. And he's the one who taught me how to play guitar. And so first of all, he came up to me when I was just a little eighth grader, and he was like, hey, next year, because you have to be a high schooler to be in the praise band. But he said, next year, we want, I want you to be in the praise band. And so we pushed it really hard, and I was like, fine, I'll be in the praise band. And so it first started off where I was just playing guitar. And that was great for a freshman, because even if I made a mistake, it was kind of drowned out, and I could kind of fly under the radar, and so I couldn't really get super embarrassed. But then he kept coming back and saying, I think you should sing. I think you should lead a song. And I was a little, well, I don't know, you know, I, th that, that puts me a little bit more out there. And he kept pushing and kept pushing. I said, fine, I will lead some songs. And so I first started leading a song. And I let it really low, and that was okay, because it was kind of in my vocal range. And he kept pushing and kept pushing, because he's the best singer I've ever heard in my life. And he doesn't understand that not everyone else is that good at singing. And so he kept pushing and saying, you can sing this song that's higher. You can sing this song that's higher. And finally, the, the dreaded day came where he gave me a song, and he said, I want you to sing 10,000 Reasons. I want you to get up there and lead that. And I did. And I got up there, and as the music was fading, and it was, it was all down on me, right? I, all eyes were on me, kind of like they are right now. And I started the song. And man, it was terribly off-key. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was just, oh, it was bad. And I cringed looking back at it. And in that moment, I was beat red. And, he, of course, he came in and saved the day because he is the best singer I've ever heard. And he fixed the song and took over, and everything was okay in the end. But I was embarrassed, and I was beat red. You could have seen me from space. And I felt like a fool. And I think we've all been there. Right? Everyone has done something, whether it's fumbling a snap, which I have also done many times, whether it's missing the free throw to win the game, whether it's forgetting your line in a drama play, whatever it is, we've all been in a moment where it felt like everyone in the world was looking at us and we goofed it and we fumbled and we were embarrassed and we felt like a fool. And I think the fact is sometimes God calls us to do things that the world will see as foolish. And sometimes God calls us to do things where it will feel like the entire world is out there and I am right here and everyone is looking at me and everyone is looking at me and saying, you are a fool. And today we're going to be talking about someone and that's exactly what God did. So today we're going to be talking about Noah. And I'm going to be preaching out of Hebrews 11:7. But the actual story is found in Genesis 6 through 8. So Hebrews 11:7 is a New Testament author looking back on the events of Noah and writing about them for a New Testament audience. 
But the actual story of Noah, like I said, is in Genesis 6 through 8. And so if you don't think that I tell it good enough, then feel free to go read it yourself. (laughs) Uh, If you think that I leave anything out or maybe add a little too much, go read it yourself. Because the Bible is a lot better at telling the story of Noah than I am. So we're going to start with Hebrews 11.7. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark, for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So I'm going to use this verse to walk through the story of Noah that's presented in Genesis 6 through 8. So first, by faith, Noah. Well, who is Noah? Let me tell you about Noah. One thing you need to know to know who Noah is is to know that the world was extremely broken. Kind of like it is today, but even more so. The Bible says in the, in the Genesis 6 passage that God looked down on the world and he saw that every thought of man was wicked all of the time. And it was especially violent. People were slaughtering each other. People hated each other. There was violence on the earth. There was brutal sin on the earth. And everyone was wicked. And every thought that every man had was wicked. Except for Noah. Noah was the one person that shined out to God as a righteous man amidst an unrighteous world. And so God chose Noah to warn him. Being warned by God. Well, what did Noah have to be warned of? God, looking down on this broken, corrupt, destroyed world. He sees that everything is so broken and wicked, that he says, I just have to start over. I just have to completely wipe everything out and try again. And so he says to Noah, I'm going to send a flood. And this flood is going to completely wipe out all life on earth except for you and your family and some animals that I'm going to command you to bring upon this ark with, with you. But he warns Noah. And he warns Noah about this crazy colossal flood. And that is the concerning events as yet unseen. Because if you didn't know, Noah was living in a desert. And the whole idea of a flood would probably have been pretty foreign to him. Yet God comes to him and he says, I'm going to cover the entire face of the earth with water. And everything and everyone that is not on that boat with you is going to die. And so in reverent fear, Noah listens to God's call. Noah listens to the foolish call of God, and he constructs an ark. And an ark is a boat. But it's not just any boat. It is a massive boat. Let me give you some statistics. So the ark is about two school buses wide. right? So a school bus from front to back, and then from front to back. That's how wide the ark was. The ark was about one and a half football fields long. So about 150 yards long. And the ark was about three giraffes tall. That was the most interesting one that I found. Um, Because it's like, well, every giraffe is probably a little bit different height. But average three giraffes tall. And so this thing is massive. Right? It's basically three stories, two, two buses wide and one and a half football fields long. 
This thing is huge. And it is estimated that it took Noah about 55 to 75 years to construct this. Doesn't that sound foolish? To spend 75 years potentially of your life just hammering away at a boat in the middle of the desert. And the people around him would have thought it was foolish too. They would have thought that he was a fool before he started building the ark. But when he started building the ark, man, he was just playing crazy. This man is dedicating half of his life to just hammering away at this boat, to just building this boat. And as time passes, I can imagine the neighbors mocking, saying, you're wasting your time. You're wasting our resources. You are a waste. And he gets mocked and he gets ridiculed, yet he just keeps on hammering. And eventually, when the ark is built, his household becomes saved. Because that flood that God said was going to come actually does come. And the people who doubted Noah and the people who mocked him and mocked God are going to find out that they should have been on Noah's side. Because when the flood comes and the waters fall and the waters burst forth from the earth, Noah and his family get on that ark with two of every kind of every animal. And they are saved. And through Noah's faithfulness, God saves not only his household, but saves all of humanity and all of the animals on the earth. And so Noah's faithfulness shines out so much that the author of the book of Hebrews writes around him. And something that we see in this story, in this next section, is that through Noah's faithfulness, he condemned the world. And he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. I read this as a conditional statement. Because Noah condemned the world, he was able to become an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah understood that he had a decision before him. Noah had to decide whether he would be foolish in the eyes of the world or foolish in the eyes of God. Because the fact is, he was going to be foolish in the eyes of somebody. He just had to choose who. He had to choose whether he would stand his ground and let the world mock him and let the world beat him down and let the world ridicule him. And then reap the reward from God. Or whether he would live into the world and live into the easy way. And not have to dedicate time to an ark and not waste 55 or 75 years building this boat seemingly waste. And not live on this boat for 40 days and 40 nights with a bunch of animals taking care of them. He could have chosen the easy way of the world, but if he would have done that, he would have died just like everyone else. And I make the claim that we have to make this same decision. We have to choose whether we will be foolish in the eyes of the world or foolish in the eyes of God. And I can make that claim because Christ had to make that decision. John 15, 18 
This is the words of Jesus. So imagine this written in red. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. The world hated Jesus. The world rejected Jesus. The world called Jesus a fool. Kings don't die on a cross. That is not how the world works. And yet Jesus came in and he lived a foolish way and he told people to love your enemies. That seems pretty foolish from the eyes of the world. And he told people to give away their money. That seems pretty foolish in the eyes of the world. And Jesus' entire life was a life of being foolish in the eyes of the world. And his death was the apex of that. Paul, one of the authors of the New Testament, will expound upon this in 1 Corinthians 1. And he will say the following. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand Greeks, or Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The way of Jesus is foolish. And we get all kinds of calls. We get the call from the world saying, come and live like we live. And we get the call from Jesus saying, no, be foolish in the world so that you will be wise in heaven. Be foolish in the world so that you can live like I lived and inherit the same reward that I did. And you have to decide which call you're going to answer. God's or the world's. Because you cannot occupy the middle ground. I think we often try to answer this call and say, hey God, it's Sunday, I'm at church. Right? We're, we're still on the same page, we're still good, I'm still getting into heaven, right? Okay, cool, let me put you on hold. Put him on hold and we pick up the call from the world and say, what do you have to offer me today? What kind of sin can you offer me today? What kind of pleasure can you offer me today? What kind of power can you offer me today? And oh, wait, it's Wednesday night. Oh, hi, God. I'm back here. We're back on the phone together, right? We're all good. Okay, I got to go back to the world. And we go back and forth and back and forth. And we try to live in this middle ground between the two calls. But we cannot live in the middle ground. There's a play I once heard of that presents this message extremely clearly. A man wakes up and he's in this field. But there's three things in this field. There's a massive fence running down the middle of the field. There's a man on one side and a man on the other side. And this man on this side over here is calling out to him and saying, I can give you peace 
I can give you true love. I can give you an understanding of what actually looks like. I can give you eternal life. I can give you living water. I can give you the bread of life. And then this man over here starts talking. And he says, I can give you immediate pleasure. I can give you exactly what you want right now. I can give you money. I can give you power. Everyone will respect you. In fact, if you're good enough, some people might fear you. And these two voices just keep calling to him and saying, come to me and follow me. Come to me and follow me. And it becomes clear that this is Christ and this is Satan. In amidst the voices and the anxiety, the man says, I can't make a decision. I'm just going to stand on the fence and leave it there. And the lights fade. And the last thing you hear is the voice of this man over here saying, that's great. I own the fence. Satan owns the middle ground. Jesus himself says in Matthew 12, 30, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. You can either be for Jesus or for the world. You can either be a fool in the eyes of the world or a fool in the eyes of God. There is no middle ground. So the question that I have for you today is will you answer the call to the foolish way of Christ or will you answer the call to the comfortable way of the world? Let me give you an example of a man who answered the call to the foolish way of Christ. This is a picture of Desmond Doss. If you don't know who Desmond Doss is, he is the movie, or the movie Hacksaw Ridge was written about Desmond Doss. He also wrote a book called Conscientious Objector. Desmond Doss was the first conscientious objector to receive the Medal of Honor. He refused to touch a gun. He was a field medic who went into the military in World War II. And throughout basic training and throughout all of his career in the military, he was made fun of and ridiculed and persecuted. He even got court-martialed because of his refusal to pick up a gun. And yet when he makes it through it all, he gets deployed to this place called Hacksaw Ridge. And Hacksaw Ridge is this giant cliff face. And there's this big mesh netting that the U.S military is having to climb and the Japanese occupy the top and the U.S. is on the bottom and they're having to climb and press the attack and the Japanese have a much better position and so it's just a slaughter and Desmond Doss climbs up that mesh and after an intense day of fighting and trying to save lives the sun fades and all of the U.S. people run off the ridge but Doss stays up there. And while Doss is hiding, he hears a voice of a man, a U.S. man, crying out, Medic, please, I need help. And so he goes and he cares to this man's wounds. And then he drags him to the edge of the cliff face and lowers him down with a knot that he learned. And then he hears another voice. And he saves them too. And by the, night, by the time the sun rises, Desmond Doss has saved 75 Americans' lives. And he saved even a few Japanese lives. 
And if that is not the foolish way of Christ, I don't know what is. Because it is foolish to save the life of your enemy. It is foolish to go into a battleground without a gun. And yet when he went in and lived the foolish way of Christ, 75 people's lives were saved. So the question for you today is whose call will you answer? You have a call from Christ to be foolish. To be looked at from the world's perspective and seen as a fool. And you have a call from the world. And let me tell you, the call from the world has a lot of different ringtones. It has the ringtone of status. It has the ringtone of power. It has the ringtone of money. It has the ringtone of lust. And yet Jesus calls to you and says, take the lowest position. That sounds pretty foolish. And Jesus calls to you and says, only have one sexual partner. Man, the world says that is foolish. And Jesus calls to you and says, love your enemies. So whose call will you answer? This is a hard sermon to preach. And I'm going to be very honest with you right now. My grandma passed away this week. And it is foolish of me to get up here and tell you that God is good. And it is foolish of me to believe that I will see her again. And it is foolish of me to be willing to stand up here and deliver a message to you about a God who I love when I lost someone who I love. And yet I have chosen to answer the foolish call of Christ. And that's not because I'm so great. That's because God is so great. So what will you do? Which call will you answer? Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your Son who calls us to live in a foolish manner. We thank you for stories like Noah, who show us what it looks like to be radically faithful, to spend the majority of a life dedicated to some seemingly foolish call. And we thank you for your salvation. God, help us to honor you this week. Help us to see the foolish way of Christ and to answer that call instead of the comfortable call of the world. Thank you for this opportunity to answer the call. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.